0: Hi, welcome to Nutra champion a podcast series where we speak with experts specialising in nutrition research, including scientists, doctors and policy makers. Here, we will find out more about their research journey, their career and even some personal life lessons. I'm Ting Ming, the editor of Nutra ingredients Asia and your host for this podcast. You can listen to our past episodes on Spotify, Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts. For the 1st Nutra Nutri-Champion podcast of year 2023, we are honoured to be joined by Professor John Wader, Foundational Director of the National Centre for Naturopathic Medicine, launched in 2020 with the aim of improving health through both integrative and conventional medical therapies. Also, the Maurice Blackmore Chair of Naturopathic Medicine and Professor of Public Health at Southern Cross University, Prof Water is a well-known figure in academic research with over 200 publications to his name, and is on the editorial board of eight peer-reviewed international academic medical research journals, including the journal Advances in Integrative Medicine. Hi, Professor Warder. Thank you so much for joining me today on this very first podcast of the year for Nutri-Ingredients Asia. So we are about three weeks into year 2023. So how has everything been like for you?
1: Oh, everything's been 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 great Dingman. thanks for for having me um uh, I, I think like a lot of people we're really looking forward to what 2023 brings it's been a, a rough couple of years for for a lot of people um and uh you know I think a lot of us are, are really looking forward uh, being, uh you know that's really melding our minds to what 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 comes up in the future so we've got a lot of really exciting plans that we're looking forward to this year.
0: Yes, indeed. So, um, can you tell us more about what would be some of the key goals and the priorities for you in terms of research and your work at the you know in terms of advocating uh, naturopathy and also integrative uh, medical therapies for this year?
1: Yeah, sure. So you know we we are a naturopathic center, and we we try and um instill that that focus into to everything that we do. and And for those that aren't very familiar with what what naturopathy, um, is it's essentially, uh, you know, using the body's own natural healing ability uh, and supporting that uh, process. So that can be through everything from, you know, enhanced lifestyle and behavioural, you know, medicine. So we have a, a self-care strategy. We have a food as medicine program. We have a lifestyle med- a masters of lifestyle medicine program, which is a board fellowship program um, all the ways to things like you know really quite advanced clinical biochemistry and botanical medicine which sort of you know um you know uh works with the body's own nutritional bio, you know uh, nutritional biochemistry and, and and physiological processes to uh improve or regulate that for uh you know for clinical conditions so um you know we're really looking forward to you know working across the spectrum um in that we have um a number of programs for training naturopaths for training all types of health practitioners um, in uh, lifestyle medicine. We have a graduate entry program uh, which trains pharmacists nurses in, in naturopathy and we also have a fellowship program for integrative medicine for medical doctors as well. So, um, What that's really doing is allowing us to not just do the research, so we do do a lot of research here as well. We have um, uh, Australia's two largest medicinal cannabis clinical trials are being run through the centre for example. Uh, we're doing um, some trials in... Uh, food is medicine for disaster recovery for example you know actually you know i'm trying to work with people uh in low resource settings um after you know in many cases their kitchens have, have have you know floated away um but also you know we're really excited at that sort of interface between clinical practice and research and developing that a lot further this year as well so um you know we'll be having uh our student numbers growing Quite considerably, we'll have our clinical presence growing because of that. We've only started in twenty twenty, as you said, um, but this will be the first year we'll have a really significant um, clinical practice research interface, and I think that's that's going to bring a whole, you know, host of opportunities. Um, just by you know getting clinician expertise into guiding our research program a little bit more, but also you know just the opportunities of actually being able to use that um, that resource to actually uh, attract. Um, patients for research purposes in a way that actually reflects clinical practice properly. So um, that's naturally that's the focus of, of, of this year is sort of taking, you know, um, taking the, the centre out uh, to the community. And, and that's what we're really looking forward to.
0: Okay, so you mentioned that there is this uh, cannabis trial, two of them, right, That 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 mm. is taking place um, in the centre. Could you tell us more about the study design? What is the, you know, the, the study objective of, of, of the trial?
1: Yeah, sure, and and we actually have quite a few cannabis trials happening at the moment. So the the two large ones are, are regulatory in nature, and they're really um, you know focused on supporting regulatory claims for the TGA uh, for the new over the counter um, uh, um, you know framework that they've developed. So so obviously. Um, you know they're ongoing we can't um, actually you know, speak to the results of those because we don't know them yet so um but uh but both companies have actually announced um that through to their shareholders already that they're 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 currently underway but we've also got a a, a number of um you know smaller trials in terms of numbers but i think also very interesting so we've got um you know uh trial on cannabis and fibromyalgia we've got one on parkinson's uh which is at the preclinical stage at the moment uh about to advance into that clinical stage and we've um you know we've also just uh finalized a um a small trial because the numbers are quite small for for cannabis and brain of stoma as well which which had you know encouraging results and we're currently just in the process of developing what the next steps for that one are so um you know we are you know Cannabis, you know, is is certainly a very interesting plant. And um I, I I like to think of cannabis as sort of the canary in the coal mine of botanical medicine. You know, a lot of people understand the, the complexity of cannabis um, as a as a you know uh, phytochemical compound or compounds is probably more accurate. Um but really every every plant medicine is exactly the same. So if you you know if you pull apart um you know uh, Hypericum or and John's Ward, you know, it's got compounds that can upregulate and downregulate certain as you know certain neurotransmitters, uh, same as St. Mary's thistle for um for liver function or or you know any 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 plant medicine that's actually uh, bioactive is is equally as complex. And that's one of the things that we're really ex- you know excited to be exploring and actually uh, documenting that complexity um but also using traditional knowledge to actually guide that complexity because a lot of you know um you know if you look at ayurvedic medicine they knew um this particular plant harvested in the monsoon would have a different action to if it was harvested post-monsoon or <laughs> during the dry season um you know in chinese medicine they often talk about you know um the difference in 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 uh, therapeutic uh, potential of plants grown on the sunny side of the mountain versus the, the not sunny side if you look at um, you know, Western herbal medicine, you know, Culpeper, you know, has paragraphs from the 16th century in his textbook about how the uh, different growing conditions affect these plants. So we're really excited about sort of, you know, I, I guess, you know, taking that complexity that's now acknowledged in cannabis and actually expanding that to, to botanical medicines more generally uh, and really being guided by traditional knowledge in that process too. And so, um, you know, one of the, the really exciting things we have starting this year as well is, um uh andrea dr andrea Bagatich, um, will actually be launching her framework for traditional knowledge to inform preclinical studies of of um, botanical medicines and we uh, have just had um dr alana goal uh start with us um very recently who uh is australia's first indigenous um researcher actually focusing on on indigenous traditional knowledge and traditional um traditional medicine so she'll be developing a framework to uh, appropriately um you know work with indigenous medicines in australia as well so you know we're really trying to bridge that gap between science and tradition because often tradition and science um have been put forward as a false dichotomy but i I think the the reality is people just haven't critically looked at this um enough so we're just trying to um to bridge that gap uh as it were so um yes so so I, i have diverted a little bit from your cannabis topic but you know we um cannabis is a very very complex um Plant. And you know, we we certainly do have our two largest trials, which are regulatory in nature and, and sort of around the claims that the TGA allow, which aren't huge claims, but I think there's a um a number of projects that we're actually working on with cannabis. And we've actually just partnered with a couple of other universities to uh bid for a um for a, a Hemp CRC a cooperative Research Center, which is a, a very large government scheme. Um and we have about 40 companies and and six universities involved in that that will be um you know, basically, uh, you know, uh, putting forward a proposal to the government. The government funds about five or six of these a year, uh, to you know, to put um, tens of millions of dollars into, into into cannabis research in Australia to actually support the industry further as well. So it it is a big part of what we're doing, and um, it is a very exciting pl- uh, plant. But I, I like to think of it and remind people that. You know, this this plant is certainly exciting, but the whole <laughs> ecosystem of, of, of botanical medicine and nutritional medicine is equally as exciting. Um, you know, we can't just, um, cannabis isn't the only thing that works or is exciting. Um, there's a whole world of um, nutrients and, and phytochemical compounds that are equally as exciting. We really want to explore the potential of those.
0: Yeah, indeed, indeed. You mentioned the two trials that is um involving the OTC over-the-counter TGA claims, right? Ah, uh, when do you expect the trials to be completed? Is it any time this year?
1: Um, yeah. So one should be completed this year, um, at some stage, and the the other one will um probably be completed early next year. So we're just in negotiations over how long. Um, that claim needs to be with the TGA, uh, for example. So working with regulators is often quite difficult. I, uh, I'm, I'm sure that you've uh, had this issue, particularly in, in in natural medicines. It can be quite quite um quite interesting. So you know you not only have to show that you have improved a, a certain condition by a certain amount, you also have to show that that, that improvement is sustained. Or um, you know, so some of our trials, not not for cannabis, I should say, but some of our weight loss trials have been in uh, Some of our trials have been in weight loss. Um and certainly there are there's been you know success in immediate weight loss, but now we're actually working on making sure that weight loss is sustained over a six-month period. So, you know, there are certain things that the TGA says, you know, the you know the the, well, the TGA in Australia, but regulators internationally will say, look, that's that's great that you get the result immediately, but you know, can you actually sustain that? So so some of these trials do have to, you know, have six month, twelve-month follow-ups just to show that they actually are um sustainable sustainable in their use yep yep so um so uh so generally what we we do in that case is we do um have the option for follow-up but sometimes we can actually submit the data to the regulator early and if that's enough that's enough so so we um the long and short story of that is uh tbd and determined by the regulator (laughs) as to whether it's sufficient for the claim. so
0: yeah so you mentioned the the part about um you know bridging the gap between science and tradition mm. uh, especially when um you are reaching out to the um you know doctors uh conventional doctors in a mm. sense you know like who are who, who are trained in the western medicine uh trained trained in this area how do you how do you train them like what are some of the key challenges, because sometimes they might have a different view, right, as to how things should be done.
1: Oh, completely, completely. And look, you know, my background was actually as a uh, nurse in an operating theatre in Australia. So that's a very non-holistic, very reductionist <laughs> sort of, um, uh, you know, practice and, you know, moving to a Uh, You know, more holistic and sort of more philosophically, uh, you know, philosophically is probably the wrong word, but certainly more holistic and more um, expansive uh, way of looking at health and, you know, looking at health from a positive health point of view. So not just moving from negative one to zero, but zero to one, um, you know, actually encouraging good health and wellness, not just, you know, absence of disease. So what was quite challenging from, uh, you know, from, you know, from that perspective. And I, I can see why it is challenging for a lot of, medical practitioners and I think you know one of the one group that does seem to get it is the the general practitioners the family medicine community um they are almost the outcasts of medicine in many ways if you look at australia there's you know there's um you know there's uh over hundred you know, there's over a hundred thousand medical practitioners out there, and less than twenty percent of them are actually uh, general practitioners and and that's where they sort of do blend the art and the science of medicine quite, you know quite a lot because you know you've got to work with a patient there who's quite complex, you know physiologically and physically, but also emotionally and mentally. it's it's a very complex picture to put in place. And what um <clears throat> certainly what we found is um there is a a bit of opposition, but there's a lot of interest from the medical practitioner, community in in knowing that things are, are more complex and they perhaps have been trained um, during their training and you know that's that's a reflection on just the, the huge amount of work that medical practitioners need to know about. So, um, you know, we, you know, our medical practitioners need to be trained to make on the spot decisions, you know, in emergency medicine, you know, within, you know, that they have no room for self-doubt and um, uh, but if you move to uh, primary care and family medicine, you actually need that self-doubt because you need to actually do that differential diagnosis and say it's not this, it's not that, and you need to be able to work across systems. So I think um, it has been quite challenging. We've been working with the uh, Australasian Integrative Medicine uh, Association uh, to develop a fellowship program for medical practitioners, um, and we're working with the US uh, Consortium uh, of Integrative Medicine um, on that as well. So. Uh, This will be a uh, uh, a recognized board uh, fellowship qualification for medical practitioners, and I think it's really um, exciting that that's actually been, you know, it's quite controversial that that's been housed in a naturopathic program, but I think it's quite exciting because it really does allow that discussion of ideas between, you know, not just naturopaths and medical practitioners, but we're based in the Faculty of Health, so we have um, Nursing practitioners, allied health practitioners, you know, physiotherapists, you know, speech pathologists, you know, the whole gamut of of health professions actually um, involved in that process. And I, I think integrative medicine has often been framed as you know combining complementary medicine and um you know conventional medicine, but I think what it's actually not done really well traditionally is that interprofessional education and interprofessional practice part of it. So it's been either, you know, it's been sort of, you know, the the emergence of these two different fields and just putting them together and combining them rather than sort of letting them, um, you know, interact and evolve and and, and coalesce. And there's a lot that conventional medicine can learn from integrative medicine. And there's a lot that um, integrative uh, complementary medicine can learn from uh, from conventional medicine as well. And so we're, really excited to be in this unique position where we're in a comprehensive university we've got other allied health um and and nursing uh, professions here we're training medical practitioners we're working with the local hospitals and and health districts um and we are um you know working with medical schools across across the world and organizations such as the world health Organisation. so i think there's a lot of exciting developments that come from that and we're, we're really hoping to, to you know bridge that gap there'll always be a skeptical community um, and you know, I, I think you know you, you can, um, you know, you can say the same thing about complementary medicine. There'll always be a group of naturopaths that just you know refuse to admit that there's any benefit at all from pharmaceutical medication to surgery. So, um, but you know, if you look at our our work in, in integrative oncology for example you know we know that you know nutritional supplements can actually reduce the side effects of chemotherapy and actually make the chemotherapy work more effectively make the pipe you know, make the patient uh, the patient experience more pleasant while they actually do that so you get um you know patient benefit um you get clinical benefit um by combining them uh not 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 sort of trying to do them separately so um you know i really think that integrative approach is 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 the future and, and we're really excited to be part of that
0: yeah, because you're also involved in some of the regulatory um, work as well, right? So I would mm. like to find find out from you, you know, now that complementary medicines, they are being institutionalised in Australia by the TGA, what do you think is the next step that complementary medicines or naturopathy should head towards to in Australia?
1: Yeah, well, you know, I, I guess, you know, you, you do say that it has been institutionalised by the TGA, but one thing we have found quite difficult recently and we're, we're just starting to um, try and work with you know the regulator but also you know other uh, other companies and 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 whatnot about that is the TGA has recognized traditional claims um, under its framework um, but what we have found is there's a loss of nuance and a bit of difficulty in, in, in bridging that gap so you know regulators by default generally um, when they regulate they want to they speak in analytical chemistry terms so um you know they want to see evidence of um, you know in a traditional text um as such and for things like chinese medicine and ayurvedic medicine that's fine but for traditional african medicine or you know indigenous australian medicine it's it's an oral tradition it's not really been captured that well um, you know there's a whole host of ip issues and the, the regulatory frameworks really aren't dealt you know they're really not um well built to, to deal with that kind of stuff and even even for some of the western Um, herbal medicines that are you know incredibly popular um, in Australia and you know culturally relevant to a large part of the European population um, in Australia Um, you know the the way that things were written you know 200 years ago they didn't describe you know what the solvent extraction or water extraction or what kind of percentage or you know um, what kind of um, you know detailed extraction techniques might have been used in that in, in, in that setting so when a company actually tries to you know build on traditional knowledge using that you know claim for a traditional area that has been used traditionally but you know perhaps there's been evidence of a compound that comes out um uh that, that isn't safe and you can re, re, reduce it with a water extraction rather than a solvent extraction, you know, like like they've done in carver, for example. Uh, or they um they want to build standardization around how they actually extract that. Um, you know, the, the TGA is almost in a in a situation where it will recognize something for a traditional claim if it's made in a bathtub, but not if you try and build these safety techn- you know, these safety mechanisms around it. So you've got this conflict between the good manufacturing practice sometimes and you know that um Coherence with tradition. So one of the things that we're really trying to do is sort of bridge that gap in that regulatory structure. So, okay, it's still a traditional product, but it's been made in a way that's actually improving good manufacturing practice, but it still has fidelity to that tradition. Um, So you still should be able to use that traditional claim, even though it's made in a safer and more effective um, way using modern extraction techniques or whatever. So, uh, you know, another example is, um, uh, um, you know, um, you know, child claims. You know, herbalists have been using herbal medicines for children for uh, thousands of years. But if you um, look at childhood as a concept, it really didn't exist until about a hundred years ago, so hundred or one hundred and fifty years ago. So you won't find any traditional texts which actually differentiate child doses or child use from from adult use. So you know, the TGA is starting to, and other regulators are, are, are starting to, you know, just just you know. Not, not not, sort of, you know, halt or stop, but just question, you know, how do we actually identify if something's got a, tradition, a valid traditional claim in, in childhood use? Um, so echinacea is a really good example of that. It's been used traditionally in children for, for hundreds of years, but if you open a textbook, you won't, you know, you won't find that because, you know, children were just treated as little adults and, you know, if they were smaller, they had a smaller dose. So um, so there's a few, so, so one of the things that we're really trying to, to look at and we're working with, not just the TGA, but also um, WHO and um, other universities in the US and Europe and um, you know, the regional offices of WHO, particularly in Africa, um, around trying to develop frameworks that um, allow for traditional claims because there's a lot of wisdom and knowledge and tradition, um, but also allow you know things like GMP and that kind of stuff to actually be you know properly adopted for traditional products as well so so we're just that that, that's probably one of the areas of focus in terms of regulation that we're really um interested in um in terms of the product side anyway and obviously we're we're very focused on on practitioner regulation as well because there's um there's one thing to have a great product but you also need to have someone who knows how to use that product how to guide people through that product and um uh you know self-care's uh uh, a really, you know, important growth area of most countries now uh, in terms of their health policy. Um, but that usually involves a advocate or a health advocate sort of guiding them through that process as well. So so making sure those people are adequately cha- trained. And I think particularly in that integrative model, making sure that they know the drug-herb-nutrient interactions that are, um, you know, not just negative, but I think the other thing that we, we often overlook in terms of that interaction po- you know, our profile is some of these supplements actually make, pharmaceutical drugs more effective <laughs> and more safe. So there's a positive interaction too, I think that we can actually guide, you know, that we can actually um, encourage a lot more of. So so they're, they're the two areas of focus, I think, in terms of regulation and integration that we're trying to focus on um, this year.
0: Okay. And because you were involved in the Australian budget uh, 2022 to 2023 discussion uh, for, for last year, right? So I, I, I was wondering, like, how would this, um, uh, the, the budget work towards the some of the improvements that you hope to see that you mentioned just now?
1: Yeah, yeah. And look, you know, basically, you know, what the government has decided is that the, the, the current medical uh, the way of delivering medical care in Australia is not really fit for purpose. It was a, a, a fantastic system designed, you know, forty years ago, and it was really relevant for that idea where chronic disease was not as a, you know not as prevalent, um, where most of the issues were on acute conditions and hospital care and and, and that kind of stuff. And um, you know what we're seeing now, and what the the government certainly, and and what the health minister has said, you know, in the in that budget process, is that you know primary care is 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 Going to be increasingly important. Um, Medical practitioners aren't going into primary care, and we can't rely on medical practitioners to go into primary care. In Australia, 13% of medical graduates will go into primary care. Um, So, you know, we need to look at other health professions, other health approaches. Um, You know, I was involved in developing the self care policy blueprint for the government in 2020. Uh, I think it was launched in 2021 for for obvious reasons. and uh you know actually you know in in empowering you know uh the public to make their own health choices and to be an active participant in their own health and i think there's a huge role for um you know uh the you know the 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 supplement sector in, in in that certainly so um but also you know there's there's a real sort of you know focus on preventive health what does preventive health actually mean i think there's you know there's always been a um know there's always been a bit of a sort of tokenistic uh you know throwaway lines around preventive health but i think with this current budget process the government's actually thinking about it a little bit more seriously and they're they're, they're a little bit more they're trying to be a little bit more inventive about how they might actually do things i think they're a little bit more open to ideas so um you know certainly you know there are a lot of you know things that we um you know, are are going to be proposing in the next year. We've got our pre-budget submission for next year. Um, actually going through, and we'll we'll make that publicly available when that goes through. That goes through on the twenty seventh of January, I think. So, we have written that. Um, and you know that the integrated model is really what we're we're sort of looking at. And you know there are, um, you know there's really good examples. You know, from Australia, for example, where you know um dietary education and clinical nutrition um guided by appropriate health professions, such as naturopaths can actually reduce the um you know uh you know uh, after cardiac surgery can actually reduce the um the need to go back to surgery later uh, after that so there's a whole host of things i think we're not actually fully taking advantage of um using um you know the the resources we have from you know the nutritional supplement sector and dietary supplement sector from botanical medicines and and from the practice community itself. So um, so they seem to be a lot more inventive um, and open to ideas. and I don't really know if they know what they want to do, but that sort of presents a really good opportunity to present solutions and be solutions focused for them. So, uh, so we're we're certainly going to be focusing on that a lot more over the coming year. Uh, and certainly there are. Other country, you know, every country is having the same issue. Um, and I think, you know, if you're looking at the WHO at the moment, they're just in the process of developing their new traditional medicine strategy, or actually voting on whether they should do another traditional medicine strategy. And really, the idea was all, all always about okay, we're going to focus on products and policy at this stage, but integration is now the next phase of that. So. Um, you know, I think everyone should be reaching out to the WHO and reminding them how important that next strategy is. Um, but you know, we're actually getting to brass tax now. You know, the, the the policy frameworks, the regulatory structures, people actually identify these products as therapeutic tools now. And now we need to actually take that next step and go, well, how do we integrate them for 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 the benefit of, of, of the public more broadly?
0: yeah and India I guess is one of the countries which has placed a lot of focus on naturopathy right especially with their traditional use of ayurvedic medicine and last year you also attended the India's Ministry of Ayush naturopathy uh, naturopathy day celebrations right. so how how did you find that um what were what some of the highlights of the event and how do you think uh, these will help to uh, you know uh, guide some of the uh, projects that you are working on in in Australia?
1: Mm. Look, I- India is a fascinating, um a fascinating place because it 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 is, you know, a lot of countries have fully embraced traditional medicine. Um and you know you see um uh you know China's an obvious example traditional Chinese medicine is is basically integrated into that system but Almost exclusively so. So you know, it's very difficult for for naturopathy or you know uh, herbal medicines from another tradition to to sort of gain traction in 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 that Chinese market because there is one dominant traditional medicine uh, group. India's always been really fascinating because you know Ayush, you know a very yogic naturopathy, Unani Siddha, um, you know there's it's been always been medically pluralistic, uh, pluralistic not just in terms of conventional and traditional, but also having multiple traditional systems um, working within the country itself. So um, yeah, naturopathy in India has always been a um, you know a, a, a very interesting uh you know profession uh, you know for those that may not know naturopathy was actually introduced to india by by um uh, well not introduced but popularized in india by by gandhi so the, the the national institute of naturopathy is actually gandhi's old hospital in pune um uh, and you know it's it's really a, a a drugless well not drugless but really focused on that sort of um you know, education, behavioral, lifestyle, that drugless form of care, um, before having to move to even herbal medicines or then or, or then to pharmaceutical medicines. So you know there's been some really interesting approaches that they've um you know taken in in that country, everything from reintroducing you know foodstuffs that have been forgotten by um you know by by the public to um, you know, using uh, different uh you know, in, in HIV patients, for example, you know, reducing the, um, uh, the impact on CD4 count um, of, of, of HIV to, to reduce the, not need for antiretroviral medications, but, you know, potentially the, the, the sort of, um, uh, you know, the urgency for them or the, um, because, you know, Indiana resource setting has, you know, not always had the, the best access to those, so sometimes people had to wait to a certain level. So, um, but yeah, there's a real interesting push, in India now, not just for the integration of conventional medicine and Ayush medicine, but also the interrelationship between Ayush medicines as well. So what you're seeing increasing now is, you know, natu- nat- 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 naturopathic doctors are working more with Ayurvedic doctors, you know. Uh, Siddha doctors are working more with um, Unani doctors. So it's it's a really interesting laboratory for that. And and so this this Ayush, um, so this nat- 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 National Metropathy Day was quite interesting because, you know, traditionally um, a lot of those other AOS systems, not that they weren't invited, but they were just generally a little bit siloed. Um, and we're we're really starting to see the um the embrace of that integrated and interprofessional approach between different systems of traditional medicine. I think that's that's really going to push um, you know, push the dial forward on 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 um you know, just the potential of what what uh, traditional medicine can do in that country. So, um you know, a really good example is India has generally, um avoided really um Indian naturopaths generally really avoided um you know manufactured high dose herbal medicines uh in favor of more drugless so you know or or, you know um sort of less invasive therapies and we're actually seeing them now um I, I guess being a little bit more you know having having a little bit more in common with with um uh, you know, naturopathic practitioners in australia or 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 America, for example, where they're using that whole spectrum of care. Um, but on the same token, you know the the inpatient model of of naturopathic hospitals in India, um you know Germany has some of it, but but really, that's a very unique model that I think you know Australian and American naturopaths can come a lot more from because it's a um you know for things like diabetes or or chronic diseases, it's you know it's basically a way to um you know help people identify. The best ways to heal themselves you know bring the practices on that they actually take on further and have a lifelong benefit and you know you've seen a lot of things like diabetes remission which is really important in in countries like um india which has one of the highest diabetes rates in the world but um um you know sometimes i think we focus so much in western countries on um you know high-tech and very invasive and very detailed solutions we often forget the simple stuff so um so i think there's a lot we can learn from from that aspect as well so The Internationalization of a lot of these therapies as well is really exciting because we're starting to you know be able to identify, okay, you've done this really well, let's take that and incorporate it right into Australia. You've done this really well, let's um, you know, so so I think there's a yeah, there's an enormous you know benefit there. And you know, India um is is really interested in exploring just the potential of all traditional medicine systems in a way that I think few other countries are. So, you know, if you're looking at the the countries that are really leading the charge, you know, it's probably um, you know, Africa as a region, I think, is 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 certainly you know moving forward um, as much you know as 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 much as it can. But it's it's sort of hampered a little bit by resource constraints and a few other things. And it it probably doesn't have um, the the global support that I think it probably should. I'm I'm always actively trying to encourage you know companies to partner <laughs> um, you know with Africa uh, a lot more because there's just so much potential on that continent. But really, I think India and Brazil are the two countries where. Um, you know, uh, the, the you know, the independent agenda are just really being pushed um, further than anywhere else.
0: In- interesting, the part about Africa, what mm. are some of the potential coming out from this region, especially in terms of, like, say, the botanicals that, uh, you know, companies could possibly explore, and what are some of the functionalities, health benefits of, of some of these um, uh, botanicals?
1: Yeah, you look. You know, Africa. I think has always been a little bit dismissed um, in terms of traditional medicine use, and certainly, we. Um, well, you know, I remember being taught that you know people in Africa used you know had the highest use of traditional medicine, but it wasn't. It, it was only because they couldn't get access to quote unquote you know real medicine. So, um, so you know, we, we we've got a, a, a postdoc, um, Peter James, who used to be the the head of the um, FDA equivalent in, in Sierra Leone, who works with us, and he um conducted the first ever um you know uh systematic review of traditional medicine use in in, in sub-saharan africa and it's actually completely the opposite if you um develop the health systems in those countries further um you don't reduce the use of traditional medicine you actually increase it so the more access that african populations have to um you know uh, hospital care or primary health care you know in that conventional um, approach um, the more you know the more likely they are to actually use traditional medicine and you know that that shouldn't be surprising it's exactly the same thing we see in canada or australia or the us or um you know or, or singapore or other countries um uh, but for some reason i think you know there's there's a lot of assumptions made about africa and what you know um you know what these things are but you know africa african countries have um not lost that connection with with traditional knowledge and traditional medicine in a way that a lot of other regions have. Um, you know, there are. You know, you talk to. You know, I, I come from the field of public health, and I come from the field of, of of medical practice. And nearly every medical practitioner, you know, nearly every African, you know, medical practitioner or public health professional or policy person that I speak to, use traditional medicine. And you know believe in the power of 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 their own traditional medicines but they don't have the the structures or the framework or the infrastructure to actually fully expand that and that that's in terms of research or manufacturing um if you go to many countries in 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 africa um uh you know and you go to a pharmacy the the herbal medicines or the nutritional supplements that you'll see are usually imported from you know the, the few countries in that region that have um manufacturing capacity like south africa um, or are imported from the US or Canada or Australia or 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 other places. And the the local traditional medicines are usually found in the market. So um, you know, there is a capability and a capacity gap that I think that exists there. Um, you know, a lot of these, you know, medicines are incredibly powerful. So we saw, you know, um, you know, Mali is a country that has really um you know taking this on board and and really you know push this forward and develop you know our capacity you know as much as they can but um you know there are things like uh, you know um good agricultural practices um for for developing the raw materials for example often these things are informally grown or grown um or grown in a um in a setting that um you know might not be as standardized as as would be appropriate for a uh um you know, uh for, for, for many, you know, for many Western manufacturers, the manufacturing capacity is not often there um as much as it should be. The regulatory capacity is not actually there as much as it should be. So we've just had a um uh n- later on this year we're gonna be working with WHO on developing a regulatory model for for Africa. We've got a um uh a regulator from uh zimbabwe and and botswana he's run the regulatory authorities in both countries he's going to be coming that's basically going to be his doctoral project working in conjunction with um wh in africa to develop a regulatory model for uh for africa but you know the manufacturing capacity um isn't there the research you know is very impressive for the capacity that they actually have but probably needs to boost as well so it's really early days in africa but there's just so much potential um in, in in that country and um, You know, already a lot of African traditional medicines, even despite that lack of capacity, are on the essential medicines lists um, of many of those countries and WHO Africa regions. So, um, but it's, you know, I think I think the whole world always sort of you know sees Africa as a black spot and doesn't just you know acknowledge the incredible t- potential of that continent. and There's just um, you know it's it's a fascinating, diverse, um and just you know it it's it's it, Africa is the future of, of of herbal medicine. I think we're we're ignoring that as much as um to our peril as to theirs. So.
0: Mm-hmm. indeed, yes, I, I guess i am um, like you mentioned quite a lot of like international projects, so I mm. guess you will be traveling quite a bit for this year. Is that the case? like uh, what what are some of the you know, maybe events or conferences that you'll be attending?
1: Yeah, yeah, sure. So uh, yeah I, I, I do travel a little a, a little bit, probably probably too much. <laughs> um, um thinking back. but so, so, you know, my my next trip's gonna be to the u s next month. um we work. Um we're actually members of the Academic um, Consortium for Integrative Health and Medicine, which is a um, an international group, primarily US. So, you know, um, you know, uh, you know, Harvard, you know, University of Chicago, Northwestern, you know, University of Washington, my old alma mater and Boston University, my other um old, old, old workplace are, are sort of members of that. And that's that's really focused on the integrative medicine practice and and training part of it. So we'll be working with that and actually working with them on how we develop our integrative medicine program a little bit you know further because you know i think at the moment every country is doing things differently so we're trying to um you know work with that a little bit uh, a little bit more closely um i'll be in in, in um uh, the united arab emirates uh, later on just to discuss the same thing um we're also we also work quite closely with some of the national centers um globally so the, the one at the university of mississippi for example we're just in the process of um finalizing a, a memorandum of understanding with and we're really going to be um expanding on our preclinical um you know programs with them and you know like you know the university of mississippi is the fda center uh for excellence in the us and you know one of their well, currently their only recognized facility for for animal chemistry and um for, for for regulatory purposes um and you know, uh, we're one of only two facilities recognized by the TGA in Australia for that same purpose. So we're, you know, there's a real natural partnership that we're developing. And our natural products futures forum has really um essentially been been uh, established as uh, the Western Pacific regional equivalent to um the International Congress on the Science of Botanicals that the University of Mississippi holds. So we're we're we've got a nice relationship that we're working with Iblis and his group at the University of Mississippi on. Um, I'll be meeting quite a few of the naturopathic programs globally. So the the Canadian College in Toronto, and uh, Bastia in, in Seattle, and we're actually working with them on development of a um, you know, international clinical trial capacity, basically, so that we can actually work on um, uh, you know multi site trials that are actually uh, not just you know multi sites across the countries, but actually international in nature as well. So uh, and then. That that takes me up, I think, until April, so there's so, so quite a few. Wow,
0: wow. Um, very, very easy for you.
1: Yeah, and we'll be working, I'll, I'll be going to the WHO um, General Assembly and the World Federation of Public Health Conference um, in Europe later this year as well, and we're, we're working on developing a special interest group for traditional medicine, uh, traditional complementary and integrative medicine, um, in, you know, amongst public health associations. So we've been working with... Um, so I'm convening for the Australian Public Health Association special interest group in that area, Danielle Danielle Diego is the um, representative from the U.S. American Public Health Association. We've also got um, the Indonesian Public Health Association, uh, Chinese Preventive Medicine uh, Association, the Brazilian, uh, South African, um, and New Zealand equivalents, as well as uh, a host of other countries that are actually involved in that process. So, um, just to you know, give a bit of a public health, a global public health lens on what um, you know what the future might look like for. Um, for traditional complementary and integrative medicine, and I think you know historically the public health community have always focused on you know regulate it, and <laughs> make it safer, and all that kind of stuff. But we're trying to to move that conversation more towards um, things like you know well we have the global health community has a priority agenda for preventive health, for health promotion, for preconception care, for self care. You know how does this sector actually fit into that? Because there's a lot of potential, I think, for for the sector to be more involved in those discussions, and certainly, it's um, as a centre clinically, it's what we do, and 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 really be nice to see that at a more strategic level happening globally as well
0: yes i see yeah i hope it will be very um uh, it be fruitful trips for you and that you'll be having some like um insightful discussions with the counterparts from different countries to mm. advocate yeah to, to to further promote the the growth of the naturopathic scene in australia yes yeah. thank you so much for your time today to speak with me on on your goals and key projects for this year thank you thanks
1: so much Amanda.
0: if you like this podcast you can subscribe to Nutra champion on Spotify, Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts. You can also head to nutri asiacom for more content and news on the nutrition industry.